From the late 1960s to the early 1990s, the United States saw an unprecedented surge in serial killing, rooted not just in the dynamic changes of the post-war period, but in the development of the human psyche going back many millennia to our ancient past. Wonder why serial killers exist, why they emerge, and why they exploded in the post-war United States? Check out The Golden Age of Murder, a panoramic look at serial killing focusing on the United States in the post-war period with your hosts, Toby and Simeon. You're listening to The Murder in My Family, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including Missing Persons, DNA ID, Beyond Bizarre True Crime, Zodiac Speaking, Scene of the Crime, and Three Men and a Mystery. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the podcast, its host, or sponsors. If you would like to discuss the murder in your family on this podcast, please be sure to visit themurderinmyfamily.com for more information. You can support this podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash the murder in my family. This episode may contain unsettling material or subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Murder of My Family. I'm your host, Mike Morford. In this episode, we'll be discussing the case of a 23-year-old Alabama woman who was murdered on a road trip helping someone she thought was her friend. Her reward for helping this friend was a bullet to the head while she slept, before her body was stuffed into a suitcase and discarded. We'll dive into this case after some quick housekeeping. Independent podcasts like this one depend on word of mouth to bring in new listeners. So if you find that you enjoy this show, please take a minute to rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to introduce a friend of the show and invite them to listen. With your help, the murder of my family can continue to grow and reach a new audience. To learn more about the show or the cases we discuss, please visit themurderofmyfamily.com. You can also find us on social media. We're on Twitter with the handle at murderofmyfam. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching for The Murder of My Family. And you can also listen to the show for free on the Spreaker app, and even interact with me by commenting on episodes that I can read and respond to your comments. If you'd like to help support this show through a Patreon donation, it's always appreciated, and you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash The Murder of My Family. Benefits of supporting the show on Patreon may include early and ad-free episodes of the show, or bonus content not heard in regular episodes. Support may also include stickers, thank you cards, and more. If you prefer to, you can also support the show through a PayPal donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash the murder of my family. In each episode, I'll give shout-outs to any new supporters. In this episode, I'd like to thank, and thank you to all the supporters that help keep the show growing and improving. One last note. Please consider supporting any of the sponsors that you hear on The Murder of My Family, the way that those sponsors support the show. It's with our sponsors' support that this show can go on and continue to provide a platform to share these stories with you in every episode. 
Thank you. And now on with the show. Laramie Klein was born on October 25th, 1993, to Derek and Kim Klein. She has a brother, Coulter, and a sister, Jackie. In 2002, she graduated from Carroll County High School in Ozark, Alabama. Growing up, Laramie loved working with animals and enjoyed spending time on the beach. But most of all, she loved her family. Despite her connection to her family, Laramie was an energetic young lady who had a strong desire to travel and see the world. And she was outgoing and friendly. And in 2017, she was working in the food industry in Orange Beach, Alabama. It was Laramie's friendly personality that attracted people to her, and sadly, it may be what ultimately brought her into contact with the man that murdered her. The last time Kim Klein saw her daughter Laramie, their visit ended with a hug and a kiss. It was August 7, 2017, and Laramie and her mom were standing in the parking lot of Kimberly's workplace. It was a nice visit for the pair, and they said their goodbyes with a hug and a kiss. Laramie was getting ready for a road trip from her home in Alabama to Colorado. As Kim described to AL.com, she was always up for an adventure. As for Kim, she was going in to have a surgical procedure on her back and would be out of commission. Kim and Laramie were very close and had one of those special mother-daughter best friend pairings. And Kim remembers when she said goodbye to her 23-year-old daughter. She warned her, be careful on her trip. And Laramie responded, course I will, Mama. When the two parted, they expected to see each other in a few weeks like they usually would, but that would never happen. After their goodbyes, Laramie headed to Weld County, Colorado, and Kim completed her back surgery, which went well. Every day for three days after the surgery, Laramie called or texted her mom to check in to see how she was doing. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, Laramie checked in on her mom, but by Sunday, Kim was very worried. She hadn't heard from Laramie in a couple days. While Laramie was a young woman on a trip, probably busy, that might just mean that she had lost track of time. But to Kim, it wasn't like Laramie to stay out of touch. And as we know, that all too often, when a woman on a trip doesn't call home, it's sometimes a huge warning sign that something's wrong. Kim and her family didn't wait around. That same Sunday, after no word from Laramie on Friday or Saturday, they went to the Dale County Sheriff's Office and filed a missing persons report for Laramie. Meanwhile, that very same day, a woman's body was found about 15 miles northeast of Little Rock, Arkansas, near Lake Pickthorn. But it would take days for an identification. The woman's body had been stuffed into a suitcase before being left where it was later discovered. Finally, after an autopsy was completed, it was confirmed that the body found near Lake Pickthorn was Laramie Klein's. Laramie had been shot once in the head. It didn't take long for police to start looking for 24-year-old David Houston Harvey, who had worked with Laramie in Orange Beach, Alabama. He had been on the road trip with Laramie before she vanished. Harvey was arrested soon after. Harvey was arrested in relation to Laramie's murder soon after. He was initially only charged with abuse of a corpse and tampering with evidence because of the way that he left Laramie's body, but he wasn't charged directly with her death. This is because investigators believe she was killed in a different state, but her body was left in Arkansas. This created a little bit of a jurisdictional problem for police. Houston Harvey pleaded not guilty, and his trial was set for June 22, 2018. But just before trial came, David Houston Harvey pleaded guilty as part of a plea deal with prosecutors, and he was sentenced to 12 years in prison. 
Houston Harvey admitted traveling to Colorado from Alabama with Laramie. He claimed that on August 10th or 11th, Laramie pointed a gun at him and tried to rob him. And when they were headed down Interstate 25 from Wyoming to Colorado, they ended up struggling over control of Laramie's gun. And according to him, it went off killing Laramie. Apparently, though, Houston Harvey wanted to end the trip early and go home. But Laramie wanted to continue en route to Colorado. But Houston Harvey later told his girlfriend, Samantha, a different story. One in which Laramie was asleep and he shot her to death. There was no real rhyme or reason to it, and it certainly wasn't self-defense. He couldn't find her pulse after he shot her in the head. So he pulled over, and then instead of calling for any kind of help, he decided to shove her into a suitcase, which he put into the trunk of Laramie's car. He drove all the way to Arkansas with Laramie's body in the trunk. Once there, he dropped off the suitcase and got rid of Laramie's gun. He kept driving Laramie's car around. In fact, when he was located by police on August 20th, he was pulled over in her car. Colorado prosecutors charged David Houston Harvey with robbery, auto theft, and first-degree murder and second-degree murder. And David Houston Harvey pleaded guilty as part of another plea deal and was sentenced to 35 years in prison for the second-degree murder of Laramie Klein. It's unclear why Houston Harvey, who was driving, was even holding a gun pointed toward Laramie, who was asleep. But his robbery story makes no sense to those who knew Laramie. It's not something she would do. Kim said that her daughter was just too trusting of people, and she thought the best of everyone. She didn't always see the dangers they might present. Despite the fact Laramie's remains were found and her killer sent to prison, it hasn't been of much comfort to her family and friends. They feel that the world was robbed of a good person with a lot to offer people, and the last five years have been difficult to say the least. Laramie's mom, Kim, joined me to discuss her daughter's tragic case and what her loss has done to her world. That conversation is coming up in just a moment. Hi, Kim, and thank you for coming on The Murder of My Family to share your daughter Laramie's story with us. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. You originally reached out to me to cover Laramie's case a few years back. I think it was only about 10 months after um, she had been taken from you. But there were some developments and some court proceedings and stuff, and you decided that it would be probably better to hold off until all of that was over with and, and played out. So here we are now talking about this ordeal that you've been through. How are you doing today now that this is uh, this chapter, at least, is behind you? Um, well, I'm, I'm doing a lot better. Um, I, I still miss Laramie every day. Um, and today just happens to be my birthday. And so it makes it, it makes it rough on days like today because she just, she was always doing something for me for my birthday, making it so special. So, so today's a hard day, but, but most days are good. Yeah. Well, happy birthday. And I I can imagine that birthdays, holidays, the stuff like that has to be especially um, difficult for you. Yes, they, they are. Yeah. It, it's coming up on five years uh, since uh, Laramie, who's 23, was taken from you. With that anniversary approaching, do you find yourself thinking more about Laramie or what happened to her with that milestone coming up? I do, I do. Um, 
the month of August is especially rough. Um, but yeah, it, and just wow, five years, how, how in the world is that possible? So, um, I do, I do think more about her in the coming months. And, and before we get into the details of what happened and who was responsible and, and what the outcome was, can you tell us a little bit about Laramie herself and help us get to know who she was, a little bit about her life and the kind of person she was? Oh, sure. Um, she was she was born October 25th, 1993. Um, we lived in a little town in, called Piedmont, and so she was born at Jacksonville Hospital. Um, she was breached, so I had to have a C-section, and we always we finally got able to joke about it. But when the doctor cut me, he actually cut Laramie's right butt cheek. Um, She didn't have to have stitches, but she did end up with a scar. And that, that scar, you know, grew along with her as, as she got older. So like I said, we did joke about you, you got your birthmark at birth. (laughs) Um, She was always just such a sweet girl. Um, I've, I've talked with mothers of, of her friends and, and nobody has ever had a bad word to say about Laramie. She was always so sweet. Um, she was kind to everybody. Um, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. She was raised like that. Please, thank you. She, you know, wouldn't go in anybody's refrigerator without asking, <laughs> even though her her nanny would tell her, just get what you want. She still wouldn't. Um, now, at my mother's house, she would. She felt much more comfortable at my mom's house, go, just going in, getting what she wanted. She made good grades in elementary and middle school, had, had friends. She would go spend the night. She had one particular friend she would go spend the night with when we lived in Piedmont. And that girl would come to our house. One year, we had a, a Halloween-themed birthday party for her. And um, several of her friends came, and they all wore their costumes. And, and it was real real cute. She never met a stranger. We moved um, to Ozark. Um, and um, so she had to change schools in middle school. But she was able to make friends there. And again, we would have girls over and she would go to their house. So um, she's just always been very outgoing. Um, spring break of uh, 2011, she got to go to Hawaii because her best friend had moved over there for her dad's job. And so Laramie got to spend a week over there with them and seeing the, seeing the sights of Hawaii. Um, her plane ticket was her Christmas present that year. Um, and so um, she loved that. Now I'm so glad that she got to experience that. Um, funny story happened over there. Um, she was 17 when she went, and her and her best friend wanted to get their belly buttons pierced. So, of course, she had to have permission. Um, she called, and I told her it'd be okay. So her friend's dad took them to get this done, and um, evidently at heart, and she started cussing. And so that was the first time um, her friend's dad had ever heard her cuss. And um, she apologized, but he thought it was he thought it was so funny. And then uh, she graduated in 2012, started off going to 
college in Troy, which is about 45 minutes from here, moved up there with her best friend. Um, that just, that didn't work out for her. So she came back home. Um, my friends were her friends, basically. I mean, she had her own friends, but a lot of my friends were also her friends because they just loved her. Um, she was always around. Um, I worked at DHR at the time and I was in foster care. And so every year we would have a foster children's Christmas party and she would come and help out. She'd be Santa's helper. Um, my supervisor at the time just, just loved her so much. Um, they had a real close relationship. Um, and, and like I said, she had a close relationship with several of my friends. Um, she worked, um, she went to work at a, a subway that was in a convenience store and met one of her good friends, uh, Deborah, and her husband, Stanford. They became very good friends with Laramie. Laramie actually stayed with them for a while. Um, she decided she didn't like the rules at home as she got older. Because even though she was an adult at this point, um, I still had rules. And so she moved in with them for a while. Um, and then she moved from the the subway actually over into the convenience store and worked there for a while. Always very friendly, always customers loved her. Just that bubbly personality that she had. She uh, she ended up, um, she moved to Enterprise uh, with her friends Miranda and Jerry. Miranda was more like a sister to her than anything. Um, and they they had a very close relationship, so it's been it's been hard on her as well. In May of 2017, um, her dad had some family members living in Orange Beach, and this is all in Alabama, by the way. I'm sorry, um, Orange Beach, Alabama, and she couldn't find a job around here, so she went down there with her cousin and her cousin and her aunt, and she found found a job down there. And uh, and so she moved. She moved to Orange Beach, and uh, that was Laramie's happy place. Was the beach anyway? She loved going to Panama City Beach, Florida. Um, she'd go there. We'd go there. We'd go to different beaches in Florida. Um, so I mean that that was her her truly happy place was being on the beach. Hmm. Sounds like she was a, a typical young person that liked to hang out with her friends, going to the beach. Uh, Everything seemed pretty uh, typical. Yes. Uh, uh, you, you mentioned she went uh, on a trip to Hawaii. What brought her to Colorado in 2017? Um, she and I, I don't say his name very often. I usually refer to him as POS, <laughs> um, honestly, because I just can't stand saying his name. But anyway, his name is David Houston Harvey. Um, he and Laramie worked together at um, the Barefoot Island Grill there in Orange Beach, along with his girlfriend, Samantha. And Laramie and Samantha had become friends. Um, they had an off day, um, went out, went down to um, Pensacola, Florida, uh, went, um, went to a strip club, actually. And then there was some sort of argument when... When they left, Samantha said that she was missing some money and accused one of them of taking it. Um, Laramie would never steal from anybody. Now, him, 
I don't I don't doubt that he did. Um, but that she, Samantha got very upset, started kind of lashing out physically, verbally. Um, they dropped her off, and um, he was living with Samantha at the time, and they picked up his things and um, and kind of left. Um, he was getting text messages later on from Samantha's father saying he's calling the police, he was going to swear out a warrant for him and just all kinds of stuff. And so originally, Laramie told me that she was taking him up to Memphis because he had nowhere else to go and that he had like a half-brother or something up there. And then like the next morning, um, I get a, a text message from Laramie of a hotel or a picture of Shreveport, Louisiana. And she said that they had decided to go out to Colorado because he had a friend, an old army buddy that lived out in Denver, and she was going to take him out there, that he had been in contact with the friend and he could go stay with him. So that's how she ended up in Colorado. Were you surprised that she was willing to take this guy, like, all the way out there? That's not like taking someone for a ride across town or a ride to another part of the state. That's pretty pretty far. Yeah, that's over a thousand miles. Yes, I was I was very shocked, um, very concerned because she hadn't known him but just a few months, and um, I had always raised Laramie to be cautious, um, but she thought she was helping somebody out, and she even joked um, on the trip, and I'll I'll never forget it. Um, she said, well, he's, I, because I told her, I said, well, just, just be careful. Just be careful. And she said, oh, well, mama. She said, besides, he was in the army and I got a gun. Because um, she had been gifted a, a pistol at Christmas time. And did she keep that usually around herself for protection? She did. She, she did. It, um. She would keep it um up the glove compartment of her car, she kept it in there. Um she had I mean she knew how to shoot it. Um the um person that gave it to her was her he he became her ex boyfriend, but her boyfriend at the time she was living with him and his father gave her and him kind of like matching pistols. Hers was pink camouflage. And I, I don't remember the color of Joseph's, but I just know Liam's was pink camouflage. And they took her out and um, practiced with it, teaching her how to shoot and everything. So she was she was very familiar with it. Um, and, yeah, she especially after she made the Orange Beach, she would keep it in the car. She gets to Colorado, and she's t- it seems like she's staying in touch with you the time while she's gone how long was she there in colorado and was she staying in touch with you on a regular basis um they left august 7th of 2017 that would be the last day i'd ever see Laramie. um she would text me pictures and we talked um we actually talked august 10th we talked and um i thought they were coming back because um, they had said there were no warrants out, so I thought they were coming back to Alabama. Um, that was that was the last conversation I had with her was August tenth. Um, 
I get a text message August 11th um, saying, drop my phone in the water. Well, I get a phone call first, and there's nobody there. And so then I get a text message. I drop my phone in the water. I can only text. And so I would get text messages. Um, and, yeah, I thought it was Laramie. Um, I actually had back surgery. I had a lumbar fusion done on August 15th, 2017. And when I woke up, my left leg was paralyzed because the doctor had hit a nerve. Anyway, I'm, I texted that to, to Laramie, and it was like, well, how long is that going to last? And... um. I said, yeah, supposedly till the swelling goes down. Anyway, the last text message I got was on August 17th. So I get out of the hospital August 19th, and I texted her out of the hospital heading to Everett. And that was my fiance at the time, and I was going to recuperate at his home. Um, So didn't hear nothing back. August 20th. Me and my son, Coulter, we were talking, and we I just knew something wasn't right. Um, the was off. Yeah, and you haven't you haven't spoken to her. You've texted with who you think was her, but you haven't heard her voice now in a little while. Right, since August 10th, and this is August 20th. Um, so I had a friend with the Dale County Sheriff's Department, and I told Coulter I was going to call him. And Coulter said, well, I'm going to text the phone and see if she'll, you know, respond. And I was like, okay. So I called um, a Lieutenant Tim Crooks with the Dale County Sheriff's Department. Um, this is on a Sunday. So his day off. I apologized and told him it's personal. And he immediately said, what you got? And I told him everything I knew. At that particular point, I only knew his, that the guy's first name was David. I didn't know the rest of his name. And so Tim jumped on it, um, made some calls, and then he calls me later on and says, could she be in Arkansas? And I said, well, I guess. Um, because he had, uh, the phone had been communicating with Coulter. And so it pinged at Pinnacle Mountain State Park. Um, And so that's how they found her car. Um, Didn't find her, but they found her car. And this this location where they found her car is is exactly where again in relation to your house? um, This is Pinnacle Mountain State Park is in um, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. So um, it's a, a about a nine and a half hours from here, from my house. Okay, and this is what a state over. Um, Arkansas is um, a couple states over. A couple of states over. Okay, yeah. So it's it, a few states over. It, it seemed like maybe at the time that she was heading back to to uh, Alabama. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, because they, um, I believe, if I remember correctly, 
and one of the text messages was that they were going to go a different route back so that they could see some other states. So, yeah, I, she could have been heading back, um, just going through different states to get back here. So, yeah. Um, um, August 21st, um, 7 o'clock in the morning, I will never forget the knock on the door. Um, I was actually laying on the couch because I couldn't stay in bed because my leg hurts so bad. Um, Everett goes to the door. I'm thinking it's home health because I was supposed to start home health that day. They were going to do their intake to get my physical therapy started. So it's 7 o'clock. I'm thinking, why is home health coming this early? But that's all I can imagine. Well, anyway, it was it was Tim, and he was accompanied by a, a Bay County Sheriff's deputy. Um. They come in, and um, he starts telling me about, you know, Laramie's car had been found there at Pinnacle Mountain, obviously. I knew that. The guy that they had found um, was David Houston Harvey. He had been with. He had some outstanding warrants in um, Pulaski County, Arkansas. Um, that's Jacksonville, Arkansas area. And so he had been arrested. The Arkansas State Police had been called in, and they had um, questioned him um, for a significant amount of time. And he he took them to um, Lammy's body. Um, it was at Lake Pitthorn. Um, and you know, I'm I'm sorry, I'm not. I know it's a distance from Pinnacle Mountain State Park. I think Lake Pitthorn is still close to uh, Jacksonville. Um, I'm, I'm, well, no, it's Lenoke County because that Lenoke County is who prosecuted him. Anyway, he took them to to the spot. Um, she was in a suitcase. And um, so uh, Tim's telling me all, all this. And um, he's, he said that he needed to get Laramie's dental records. He needed me to sign a subpoena to get her dental records and who was harassing us. So I gave him all that. And um, he said that the body in the suitcase had red hair. And uh, Lammy had red hair at the time. Um, it, it, it just sounds like, I don't know how long this conversation lasted, but it seemed like it was a lot of news that must have really shocked you and... Um, what were you feeling at that time hearing this this information? Um, I was crushed. <laughs> I was devastated. Um, I felt like my heart was just gonna just break out in two. Um, I I remember letting out of I don't even know my. As Everett said, it, it was like a sound he'd never heard. But I, ju- I just remember kind of a, a scream, kind of, I guess. I don't know. It, it was it was just gut-wrenching. Um, and I, I imagine, it, you know, someone hearing that their child is dead, it, that's got to be the worst news you can hear. But then to hear that, you know, she's dead and in a suitcase, things like that, that's, that's really disturbing. Oh, it was. It was horrible. And um, 
when he told me the person had red hair, I said, oh, so it may not be Laramie. I mean, you know, getting a look of him, I hope. And he just looked at me. And I mean, I knew that um, she, I mean, I, I knew it was her, but she wasn't positively identified until August 22nd. Um, she, uh, she's a, a, a Stacy Rhodes with the Arkansas State Police. She actually just got promoted to major with Arkansas State Police. Um, she called me on that August 22nd and we were talking and she said, does Laramie have tattoos? And I said, oh, sure. And I described everyone on Laramie's tattoos. And she said, um, could you identify her by a tattoo? Well, could you identify a tattoo if I send you a picture? And I said, sure. And so I get a picture. Um, Laramie had a, it had a design on the back of her neck and there was a scorpion that was crawling down into the middle of the design because Laramie was a Scorpio. And so Stacy sends me that picture and I was like, yeah, that's her. Um, Come to find out, Laramie had actually been murdered um, the night of August 10th into August 11th. Um, so that's that's why the the communication had gotten strained. Because it wasn't really her that was communicating with you, right? It was him huh. posing like he was her, trying to trying to say she was still alive. Because um, when he got to Arkansas, his grandmother lives in Arkansas. So he was raised in Jacksonville, Arkansas. And so when he gets there, he actually goes to grandma's house. Um, And from my understanding from everything, from investigators and, and all, is he told them that Laramie wanted to stay in Colorado and he wanted to come to Arkansas to grandma's house. And so she told him, just take the car and go and I'll just stay here. <laughs> Makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> but but that was his story when he got to Arkansas. Not a, not a believable story. No, not at all. Not at all. And he also... Um, told them once he got caught, he told them that Laramie had been asleep. She woke up and pulled the gun on him and that they struggled with the gun and it went off and killed her. Um, That's not a plausible story either. Laramie would never have done that. Um, And besides the fact, if that had happened, if it was self-defense, why didn't he stop and call the cops. Why didn't he call the police and say what had happened? Um, and, yeah. Just doesn't, wow. make, doesn't make sense. No. He actually, um, it was his suitcase that she was found in. It's a big black suitcase. So it was his suitcase. He dumped his things out, um, put Laramie in the suitcase. Um, all of Laramie's things, he admitted that he would stop at dumpsters along the way from Colorado to Arkansas 
who was bought at various dump stores and throw her stuff away. Hmm. Um, he actually, um, he kept a laptop, her cell phone, and the gun. And I'm, I'm assuming he, he, he kept all of Laramie's identification cards as well. Um, now, he hid them um, at Pinnacle Mountain State Park when he went up there. He went and he he threw the phone and the gun off the top of the mountain at, at the state park. Um, and then all of Laramie's identification cards, he took them. There's a little a little creek by the at the state park, and there's a little walking trail that you can walk down to the creek. Well, he took all of all of those items and put them under a rock in the creek. They were found in October. So, you know, two months later, all of that was found. This lady and her son were out there taking pictures and um, the son was playing in the water and it just happened to turn over this rock and, you know, found all of these items, found all, all of this. And so the lady was going to send everything back to Laramie. She was going to try to contact her, send everything back. She Googled Laramie's name and um, found out what happened. So she stopped uh, one of the park rangers and gave gave him those cards. Um, so that's a big so, big clue that they found. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it, 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 just, it just goes to show even more that he was trying to cover up what he did. Sure. And he was originally charged with, um, what, something to do with uh, transporting and hiding Laramie's body or uh, abuse of a corpse or something along those lines? Yeah. In, um, in Arkansas, he was charged with abuse of a corpse and tampering with physical evidence um, because he threw the gun away. Um, and he actually, and, um, and sometime in 2018, I don't remember the month, but um, in 2018, he was, um, he did a plea deal and um, I was involved with that. The DA kept me very much involved in everything. And um, so he took a plea deal and got 12 years uh, for those charges. Did, the 12 years seems like a, uh, on one hand, it, it puts him in jail and gets him off the street. But on the other hand, you know, 12 years doesn't seem that long for taking, you know, a 23-year-old's life. Well, this was only, in Arkansas, all they could prosecute him for was abuse of a corpse and the tampering with the evidence. Because, I mean, he admitted to the shooting but he said it took place in Colorado. So they couldn't try him for a murder in Arkansas. That had to be Colorado that did that. Um, so he, he was, even at his sentence and hearing the DA, um, John Huggins was his name, the ADA, John Huggins. He, um, he said that, but I wasn't there. Um, he, he said that David Houston Harvey uh, the judge had asked him a question about did it conceal a murder, and he said yes. So hmm. um, it wasn't until um, May of 2019 um, that he was actually indicted for murder in Colorado. 
So almost two years before he got murder charges, um, and he, he was indicted on first-degree murder, second-degree murder, um, and auto theft and theft of property because of the laptop. Um, it took them so long. I had a wonderful investigator on the case with the Colorado Bureau of Investigations. Her name was Stacey Galbraith. Um, she was great. Um, it was just a problem with finding the jurisdiction um, because he he shot her on a road somewhere in Colorado. And so they had to actually pinpoint where that spot was. Um, Stacy um, kept in touch with me. I probably worried the heck out of her <laughs> sometimes. But um, she would um, present Laramie's case to to various counties in Arkansas, in Colorado. She was presenting her case to various counties out there, presented her case um, actually to the feds, and finally through uh, a lot of digital evidence, a lot of digital work, they were able to say that she was actually killed in Weld County, Colorado. And so that's, that's why it took so long. And so Weld County, Colorado prosecuted him. Oh, quite quite an ordeal just to go through and get justice and, and have him held accountable. Oh, yes, it was awful. I mean, I was thankful he was in prison in Arkansas, but it was like, okay, are we ever going to get murder charges, ever? And so that was that was a big relief when they finally finally got those charges. Oh, it it was a lot. Like I said, it was a lot of work on um on everybody's part, on all the investigators' part. Um, and you know, I I've always appreciated everything they did. But a lot of it, it did go down to the forensic, the the digital, uh, the digital forensic evidence. Um, it's amazing what they can do yeah. with that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And and what was his grand total time that he was sentenced to? Um, he got, um, in Colorado, uh, 35 years for second-degree murder. Um, unfortunately, there were some issues with, with the case, and we couldn't prosecute for first-degree um, we had to settle for a second and, um, he got 35 years. Wow. So did he ever admit to the truth about why he did what he did or did he ever show any kind of remorse for doing it? No, he hasn't. Um, he actually confessed to his girlfriend, Samantha. She had gone from Orange Beach up to Arkansas cause she had family that lived in Arkansas as well. So he met up with her, and he told her that Laramie was asleep, and he shot her while she slept. Um, Laramie had a, a single gunshot wound to the it was right behind her left ear. Did he give any explanation of why he did that? No. Um, he didn't, he didn't tell her why, or, you know, I've, I've been in contact with Samantha 
um, on, on Facebook and through text messages, and he never told her why he did it. Um, best thing that the investigators and, you know, even me that, I, that we can think of is he wanted Laramie's car to come back to Arkansas. Um, and he thought the best way to get it, I guess, was to get Laramie out of the way. Um, he could have, he, there's so much he could have done. He could have just put Laramie out of the car and took off with it. Um, as long as he had left her her phone, I would have gotten her home. You know, um, she, um, I didn't find out he was sentenced in our, in Colorado in uh, September of 2020. And, um, I got to go to his sentencing hearing and give my victim impact statement. Um, got to meet the um, the ADA, Tony Pray. I got to meet him, met my victim advocate. She was wonderful. Um, so in talking with, with Tony, um, he said that text messages that Laramie had exchanged with um, with somebody in Orange Beach indicated that Laramie was scared that um, he was going to leave her. Said that um, in text messages, she was even scared to get out and go to the bathroom because she thought he was going to leave her. So maybe she would have refused to get out of the car. I don't know. But Laramie was uh, 5'2", and oh, maybe um, 115 pounds, maybe. So, I mean, he could have, he was a lot bigger than her. That's what I'm saying. He could have manhandled her and got her out of the car and took it. Yeah, a lot but, of... But he chose to end her life. Yeah, there's a lot of different things that he could have done. He could have gotten a bus ticket or, or something, or as you mentioned, just tied her up and left her someplace and then took the car. And, um, you know, you can always replace a car. Um, you know, and so you, you can't replace a person. Right. Um, so now you, you, you've moved past this chapter he's in jail now i assume that you just want to honor your daughter's memory and not think too much about him sort of as you mentioned um where do you go from here what what how do you plan to to move forward with your life and um and and put this awful chapter behind you while still honoring your daughter's memory um yeah, I, it's it's really hard. Um, I, I I actually left a job that I had for fifteen and a half years, a career I had for fifteen and a half years, because I couldn't handle the stress of it anymore. And I'm now a, a residential coordinator at a at a group home for intellectually disabled adults. And so that and that's a very rewarding career in and of itself. Um, I want to get Laramie's story out there because even though she was she was raised to be cautious, she wasn't <laughs> in this case. And I just want other other young ladies to know any age really that you're never immune to somebody. You do, you think you know somebody and, and you you really don't. So just to always be careful and, and watch yourself. Um yeah. Maybe she was too trusting, too kind to, uh, you know, she sort of let down her guard a little bit with this person that she let into her life. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely all those things. Yes. 
you know, I just, I live day to day. Um, I have friends. Um, my son lives in Baltimore, actually. So I've taken a couple of trips up there. Maybe that'll be in my future. Um, he wants me to move up there. You never know. That might happen one of these days. <laughs> oh. Well, it's, it's it definitely doesn't seem like something that, you know, is an easy thing to get past. You're in, in a, a group of people that have lost a, a loved one, a child, in, in a violent way. And I, I think most of us won't know what that experience is like. Um, but I wish you well sort of navigating and, and moving through life. And um, I hope you're able to heal as best as you can. Yes, that that it's definitely a process. Um, definitely a process. And I, I have a wonderful support group um, that I'm involved with, uh, friends that I've made that have also had their children taken by murder. Um, so so I, I, I do have, have some support, and I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, it's, it's always good for, for people that are in your situation to find someone to to share with and, and that can comfort them and, and maybe provide some advice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've definitely had that over the years. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing Laramie's story with us. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that you found justice. I I know that doesn't bring Laramie back to you, but I'm, I'm also happy as I'm sure you are that this person is not out on the street to, to take someone else's daughter from them. Oh yes, definitely. Definitely glad he's where he needs to be. Thank you once again for joining me for this episode of The Murder of My Family. I'd like to thank Sonny Landon for writing and research assistance in this episode. As we wrap up, I'd like to play a preview for a true crime podcast called Autumn's Oddities. Be sure to give it a listen. We'll be back here soon with an all-new episode of The Murder of My Family, and I hope you'll join me for it. But before you go, remember that every murder victim means something to somebody. Autumn's Oddities is a strange and unusual podcast made by the strange and unusual me, Autumn Gruby. Each week, I'll be taking you through some of the creepiest cases true crime has to offer. It won't only be true crime. I'll also be covering cryptids, haunted places, haunted things, and the true stories that inspired horror movies. Listen every Monday and Friday for new episodes. And remember, if it's creepy and weird, you'll find it here. Thank you.